I am going to talk about uh, Grand Canyon and what's called the Grand Staircase geologically. Uh, a lot of you are probably wondering what in the world is the Grand Staircase. Well, I'll explain that, but it is actually the greatest, one of the greatest physical proofs of the truth of God's Word we can find anywhere in the world. It's in the southwestern United States, and I'm going to explain that over the next few minutes and, and why it matters. But just so you know, I, I have uh, for eight years led bus tours to Grand Canyon where we hike along the rim. I give on-the-rim presentations. You can see right now 10 of my on-the-rim talks on the homepage of our website under videos. That's creationministries.org. Um, and you can see some of the, the information that I share right on the south rim of Grand Canyon. But I also lead uh, river raft trips through the canyon all based on the biblical creation and the true formation of the canyon. And uh, actually, even secular geologists now, the ones that stay the canyon, not the ones that just read books, the ones that actually stay the canyon are all admitting it formed in a matter of days. So it's not just me, a Bible-believing creationist, that says that. Uh, the real science is on our side. Why is that? Well, it's not because we're smart. It's because God's Word is true. So real science knowledge based on the study of the observable evidence will always back up God's word. If it's not backing up God's word, then you need to look at the interpretation of that evidence. It's being misinterpreted. It's not the evidence, it's the interpretation of the evidence. You know, think about this. Jesus said, if I have told you of earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Well, what has Jesus just said? If I have told you of earthly things, things you can test, study, and observe, things you can hold in your hand, and you won't even believe those things, how in the world are you going to believe in spiritual things, heavenly things that you can't test, study, and observe? How indeed? You see, the Bible is the correct lens through which we can correctly view and interpret the world that we live in. The Bible is not a science book. It's the true history book of the universe. But where Scripture makes a claim that we can scientifically test, study, and observe, if the Bible's true, it's going to hold up to what we can find. And the Bible holds up perfectly well to real science. Real science is a believer's best friend. So how the, the world we live in stands up to the observable facts can impact the true history book of the universe. So a key question for the past 150 years has become how old is the earth? You need to realize the old earth beliefs that are worshipped today because they're the foundation of Darwinism and secular humanism. Old earth beliefs are their foundation. They were only invented 200 years ago and only started becoming popular about 150 years ago. So they haven't been around for a long period of time. But this has become a huge question. You know, kids are taught today, and have been for the last 150 years, that the Colorado River carved out Grand Canyon over millions of years of time. Well, since, you know, real science is knowledge derived from the study of the evidence, let me ask you, who saw the Colorado River carve out Grand Canyon over millions of years of time? Nobody. That's a belief that goes against real science, as I'm about to show you. So how long did it form to ta uh, take to form Grand Canyon? Realize there are four pillars to old earth beliefs. The four pillars are Grand Canyon, 
dinosaurs, radiometric dating, and the man-made geologic column or time scale, which is where the old Earth beliefs are really derived from. There, there's no scientific way to prove that the Earth is old. And I'll, I'll talk about the age of the Earth and radiometric dating and show you overwhelming evidence of the flood tomorrow evening. The Bible says, he that answers a, a matter before he hears it, it's a folly and a shame to him. So if you are like I used to be, I used to be a theistic evolutionist. That's a Christian who thinks God used millions and billions of years of death and suffering through an evolutionary process to get us here. If you're in that boat or if you're a progressive creationist who, who's trying to fit millions and billions of years of death and suffering into God's word through saying he created slowly over millions of years of death, or if you're a gap theorist or a day-age theorist or, or any other non-biblical belief, oh, did I say non-biblical? Yeah, because you don't have to take my word for it. When you get home today, try to find that Jesus in the word of God. And you won't be able to. So I'm not saying that to be mean-spirited. I used to be a theistic evolutionist. I'm saying that to help you. I'm going to show you why we can just read God's word and put our trust and faith in the word of God. So I want to take a look at what we call the six-day formation of Grand Canyon. And I want you to know I've never even presented this. This particular message I'm showing you right now, I just recently got put together, and I'm I was supposed to have filmed it last week at Grand Canyon, but we ran out of time. So actually, uh, toward the end of the month, I'll be filming this right on the rim of the canyon, and then they're going to insert the visuals into it after I get done. But I'm calling this the six-day formation of Grand Canyon. Now, the Bible foretells in 2 Peter 3, they'll come in the last days scoffers, saying... All things continue as they were from the beginning. Scoffers are going to come in the last days, claiming processes we observe today have always been relatively the same. This is a process known as uniformitarianism. Well, that's a big word. It just means uniformity. Things are uniform. They've always been pretty much the same. This is a key theory to the old earth beliefs. And the Bible foretold this would happen in the last days. Scoffers are going to claim uniformity, that processes we observe today are pretty much the same as they've always been. But let me show you what a faulty theory uniformity is. Have you ever uh, seen oil drain from a car? Well, you know, if you pull out the, the plug in the bottom and, and bush, oil pours into the pan below. Now, if you've never seen the oil being drained from a car before and you come along an hour later, you might measure a full pan of oil and one drop every hour and a half. Well, based on uniformity, that all processes have always been the same, you might come to the conclusion, it took millions of years to fill that pan with oil. But you see, processes that we observe today have not always been the same. The Bible goes on with this prophecy that these scoffers are going to be willingly ignorant. They're going to choose to be ignorant. That by the word of God, the world that was being overflowed with water perished. There are two things they're going to be ignorant of. We talked about one earlier today, that the heavens were made mature. Oh, God couldn't get light here in the six-day creation. They're going to deny that the heavens were made mature and that the world that was being overflowed with water perished. And those are the two things I always hear today. The second one being there was never a global flood. What's the big deal about whether or not there was a global flood? Well, this is the linchpin in the war of worldviews, is whether or not there was a global flood. 
You see, belief in the age of the earth comes down to how you believe the earth's strata layers formed. Slowly, over millions of years of death and suffering, I have no idea what those letters are at the bottom, or quickly during a global flood. You know, you might say, well, I believe in millions of years, and I, I never even gave the strata formation any thought. That doesn't matter. The old earth beliefs are based on a belief the strata formed slowly, based on the geologic column invented in the early 1800s. So if you've accepted old earth beliefs, you've accepted their, their theory. Well, <clears throat> the Grand Canyon and Grand Staircase, which I'm about to explain, are undeniable proof of the truth of God's word, physical proof that we can test, study, and observe and hold in our hands. They were taught Grand Canyon strata themselves formed over millions of years, and then the Colorado River carved out the Grand Canyon through those strata layers over an additional millions and millions of years of time. So there's a couple of issues here. How did the strata form? How did the canyon form? Now realize the study of Grand Canyon has never been about the evidence. It's not about the canyon or the strata layers. It's about who gets to interpret them. And for the last 150 years, sacralists have been allowed to interpret the Grand Canyon. Now I get this information that I share from a wide variety of sources. Um, I have rafted the entire length of Grand Canyon seven and a half times. I've hiked the canyon, I've flown the canyon in airplanes and helicopters and you name it, and we, me and my wife Joanna have just about done it there. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the canyon. I, I spent nine days on a river raft trip with 12 PhD geologists studying the canyon. So, you know, I was told a long time ago that if you take a lot of information from one source, that's called plagiarism, right? But if you take a lot of information from a lot of different sources, that's called research. Correct? <laughs> so a lot of research has gone into this. So the study of the canyon is about the philosophical framework, the worldview through which the evidence gets interpreted. Students are taught that the strata formed over millions of years of time. Now nobody saw that take place, so that's a belief. It's not a scientific fact. But let's go back to uniformitarianism. This is where the strata formation over long periods of time comes from. But let's examine some evidence from Mount St. Helens in Washington State. On May 18th of 1980, 7.35 in the morning, Mount St. Helens erupted. It erupted with the force of one World War II atomic bomb blast per second, 60 seconds per minute for nine straight hours. Millions of tons of ash and debris were vaulted into the atmosphere. Now three different different events at Mount St. Helens showed us scientifically how strata layers form very quickly, not over slow processes. The airfall deposit formed hundreds of feet of finely stratified layers in a matter of days. Uh, pyroclastic flow from the from the volcano then formed many more finely stratified layers above the ashfall deposits. And a couple of years after the eruption, a, a, a dam breach with the water and mud cascading through laid down finely stratified layers themselves. Three different events at Mount St. Helens formed up to 600 feet of finely stratified layers, each one in a matter of minutes. Who's ever seen a, a strata layer form over millions of years? Nobody. 
That's a religious belief. Now, there are many evidences that Grand Canyon strata were laid down quickly. Now, every layer at Grand Canyon contained marine fossils. Uh, jellyfish, nautiloids, clams, starfish, brachiopods, etc. They were all laid down in water. You, they find shrinkage cracks between some of the strata layers. Well, you've seen a mud puddle when it dries, it gets these shrinkage cracks in it. Well, the shrinkage cracks not only go into the top layer, but they go up into the layer above, meaning both layers were laid down while they were both still moist sediments. Sedimentary layers laid down by water. The top layer was obviously laid down before the bottom layer even had time to dry. No, there are no time gaps between the 10 major layers at Grand Canyon. No time gaps. If a layer laid there for millions of years before the next layer was laid down, you should have plants growing in the top layer. You should have acids leaching, uh, uh, rocks leaching acids into the top soil. You should have water and rain erosion carving small canyons and gullies in the top layer. Those would be time gaps. But why do you see strata layers are all just straight lines at the contact points? I mean, if a layer laid there for millions of years, you'd have gullies cutting into it, right? So the next layer that lays down should follow those gullies, and then it even gets more eroded. So the layers should look like this at the contact points, not straight horizontal lines. It's because they were all laid down by water, just like a miner sifting uh, the sediments in his pan. He stratifies out the, the gold that comes to the top. They're all straight layers with no time gaps because they were laid down quickly, one right after the other. You know, creation rock is seen in the gorge, and when I take people there, this is one of my favorite things to point out to people. But when you look down at the bottom of Grand Canyon, how many of you have been to Grand Canyon before? What did you guys think of the original creation rock there? Oh, nobody showed that to you. Well, I'm about to. What did you think where the flood layers meet the creation rock? I'm about to show you that too. In this picture, you can see them both. But in the bottom of the gorge, now you've got the sedimentary layers, the stratified layers laid down by water that come all the way down to right here. This is the Tapete Sandstone. And this cliff is the contact point. Below, here you've got the original creation rock. It's the igneous rock there. It's the, the Zoroaster granite and the Vishnu and other schists. If you look closely at the creation rock, you'll see it's not stratified, is it? It's not stratified. This was there at the end of day six, when God said his creation was good. This was made during the creation week. This was creation rock. Now, it was covered with miles of topsoil that during the flood were scoured away and then redeposited in sedimentary layers laid down by water. And it tends to stratify out by grain size, shape, and density. So you have all sandstone, all shale, all limestone. This is why their different layers are all different um, materials. What the old earth belief has to believe that nothing formed for millions of years but shale. And then suddenly nothing formed for millions of years but sandstone. If you really think about it, it doesn't even make any sense. They're stratified out because they were laid down by water. And this is where the uh, creation rock meets the flood layers at Grand Canyon, right here at this contact point. Now where they meet is another problem for old earth beliefs. At the point of contact between the Tapete sandstone and the igneous rocks in the gorge, the creation rock, old earth geologists are missing up to 1.2 billion years of sediment layers that in their belief system are supposed to be in between there. 
they're missing 1.2 billion years of sediments. Well, in real science, a believer's best friend, there's a, um, I guess the best way I, w I would put this is to uh, say that the layers never were there to begin with. Okay, that's the simplest, most direct way to explain it, right? It's not that 1.2 billion years of strata somehow magically got removed, they just never were there. Now the Coconino Sandstone, which is the third layer down, it's this big white band at Grand Canyon. It's uh, been one of the great proofs for old earth beliefs. Anywhere I speak, if I speak on a college campus, someone's going to raise their hand, oh, how do you explain the Coconino Sandstone? I always say, very well, thanks for asking. But the story is the Coconino Sandstone formed over millions and millions of years in dry desert conditions. Well, there's a lot of problems uh, with that belief. First of all, the Coconino has what's called cross-bedded sandstones in it. And cross-bedded sandstones uh, form either in dry desert conditions or underwater. You see the, the cross-bedding in it, the, the slanted angles? Those are cross-bedded sandstones. And they can form underwater or in dry deserts. But the angle of slope tells us that they formed in deserts or in, or in underwater. You see, the uh, angle of slope, in, if they formed underwater, usually goes from 18 to 24 degrees. If they formed in dry deserts, it's 24 to 36 degrees. Well, the angle of inclination on these cross beds is 22 degrees, proving they formed underwater. They also find amphibian tracks going up the cross bed. Now think about this. These are found by the millions. This is, a, this is a set of them that I had in my office. I donated them to the Creation Museum out in San Diego, Santee, California, about a month ago. But they find them, and they're always going uphill in the cross beds. Think about this. They go uphill or at an angle uphill, but never downhill. So what, amphibians leave their home in the morning, have to go all the way around the world to get home again that night? That doesn't make any sense, does it? The way that these form, though, is that an amphibian was washed, was caught underwater, and washed over the edge of the forming sand dune and deposited at the bottom of those cross beds. To get out of the water, he had to go which direction? Uphill. And he went up and climbing up to get out of that water. He got caught by the water at the top and pushed back to the bottom. His tracks going uphill quickly buried by sand to be preserved for fossils. He's then climbing up and getting pushed down. He's laying down trackway after trackway always going uphill or at an angle uphill. Now the sandstone there also uh, contains angular grains of sand. There, there is so much information I could give you. It gets technical and trust me, you don't want to know it all. Believe me, you don't because it would put you to sleep. But I want to give you a couple more things here. Uh, sand dunes that form in dry deserts, the grains of sand are rounded off like a rock tumbling in the river. They get tumbled along by the wind. However, when they form underwater, they form quickly and the grains are very angular. They're sharp edges. The grains of sand in the Coconino are all very angular. Homogeneous injectiles. What in the world is a homogeneous injectile? This is probably more than you want to know. But just a few years ago, they found where the where the Coconino, the, the layer below it's a hermit shale, where they meet, they found these injectiles, dikes of Coconino sandstone that were shot into the hermit shale below. 
Well, supposedly this took place when there was a fault, it's called the Bright Angel Fault, that supposedly took place 200 million years after both of these layers had formed, so they'd both be solid rock. This proves the fault took place when they were still liquefied, homogenous, homogenous injectiles. Anyway, sponge and coral reefs are found in the Redwall limestone. It's about halfway down the canyon. It's a 500 thick layer, the Redwall limestone. And old earth believers claim that it took long ages of time for sponge and coral reefs to form. And they've been teaching for 100 years that this proves the Redwall formed over millions of years of time in calm oceans. Well, I've got to admit that sponge or coral reefs would take a long time to form. There's no doubt about it. However, this from Colorado Geological Society, coral reefs are not known in the Red Wall. This from Grand Canyon Geology, sponge reefs have not been found in the Red Wall. They've been teaching that sponge and coral reefs proves it formed over millions of years. They forgot to point out that, well, none of them have ever been found. Crinoid heads, sea lilies, very, very, uh, Delicate structures, entire crinoid heads, sea lily heads, have been found buried in the red wall. Well, they, they had to have been buried instantaneously. If they had tumbled along, they would have been torn to pieces. Microscopic spheres of polonium. Remember, these are microscopic. But when, a, when polonium forms, and there are several types of polonium, it gives off a burst of energy. Some of the polonium, it'll last for seconds. Some will last up to two years. But it gives off a burst, like a big firework going off in the sky, and then it dissipates and disappears. However, if the polonium gets, gets caught in a, in a log or a rock that hardens while, the, while that polonium's still giving off that burst of energy, it forms a, a, a little, like, bubble. Now, remember, these are microscopic in size. But when cut in half, the rings from the energy being given off look like halos. So they call them radio halos. Well, some have been found in the Colorado Plateau through which Grand Canyon cuts that were squished. They were forming the round circle, and then the next layer above was laid down quickly and squished it. See the oblong, the darker oblong? But then after the squishing event took place, it was still giving off the energy, forming the energy circle again, the halo. This proves that these layers were formed one right after the other, not over any long period of time. It had to be in less than two years of time. And they're found in three different layers in the Pl Colorado Plateau, proving those strata layers formed very quickly, and there's no way to explain that but the global flood. Uranium decays into lead, yet petrified logs in the plateau reveal lots of uranium, but very little lead. They haven't had time to decompose. From the book of Romans, we're told, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, so that they, who, who's they? They that don't accept God's word are going to be without excuse when they stand before their creator. Grand Canyon strata testify to God's global flood judgment. For all the, all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered by water. In fact, absolute proof of global, uh, the global flood is found right on the rim of Grand Canyon. If you've been to Grand Canyon, I guarantee you, you have seen one of these two buttes, some of the most awesome proof of the flood anywhere in the world, and no one said anything to you, so you didn't give it a second thought. 
But at the southern entrance, uh, to the eastern side, you have Cedar Butte. And if you come up through Williams to the south entrance of the south rim, you go right by Red Butte. Now, these two buttes are above the rim. Here's the rim of the canyon right here. And you've got 900-foot buttes above the rim. Tusion, where the IMAX is, translates land of the isolated buttes, talking about these two buttes. But those 900-foot layers, the 600-foot Moenkopi layer at the bottom and the 300-foot Chinle on top of it, those 900 feet of strata are gone for tens of thousands of square miles, but God left two remnants at the two entrance points, one at each entrance point to the south rim, where you're going to be told it formed over millions of years, and we're going to be without excuse because God left undeniable proof right there. Red Butte stands uh, on the Kaibab limestone, which is the rim of the canyon. That's Red Butte. There's a trail that goes right up to the top of it. Uh, three years ago, me and two other guys, we went there one day. We, we filmed it from the bottom and from the top in the, in the afternoon, stayed overnight, filmed it from the bottom and the top the next morning. Then I had a guy fly me over it in an airplane ten times as I filmed it from the air. And we were going to put together this awesome video about undeniable proof of the truth of God's word. You can see the stratification in it right there. You see that? Sedimentary layers laid down by water. That means they used to cover the whole area. And the guy with the film lost the film. So I haven't felt led to do it again, especially since I got really sick in the airplane deal. But anyways, and this is me on the rim on one of our tours, and we'll be doing this uh, during our Grand Staircase tour. One of our days is our rim tour at Grand Canyon. It's a powerful Christian event. And this is where I stand, Cedar Butte's right behind me there. And this is right on the south rim of the canyon. And I explain Cedar Butte and its awesome proof of the truth of God's word. Now, I'm often asked, well, how do you know that the 900 feet used to exist? Well, you've got the remnants right here. But if you think that's awesome proof of the flood, and it is, once I get folks at the canyon and I explain this, I say, how many of you think that's awesome proof of the global flood? And everyone raises their hand. Wow, how do you remove 900 feet of strata for tens of thousands of square miles and leave no remnant of where it went? But see, this is actually nothing compared to the fact there used to be 6,000 feet of strata on top of it. There's over a mile and a half of strata that's been removed from above the rim of Grand Canyon. I mean, it's only a mile of strata from the rim down to the river. There used to be a mile and a half above the rim. How do we know that? Well, you pick those layers up if you go north. Uh, the Grand Canyon cuts through the Kaibab upwarp, so this is the rim of the canyon. But if you follow the top layer of the Kaibab limestone, you see it actually is buried by over a mile and a half of strata as you go north in what is geologically called the Grand Staircase. You go 60 miles north and you pick up the Vermilion Cliffs. That's a 2,000-foot cliff, red cliff, Vermilion Cliffs. It's where we launch the seven-day raft trips from. And it's where we'll get out when we do our one-day raft trip on the Grand Staircase Tour. Now, if you on top of those 2,000 feet and 40 miles north, you come to the, to the Cliffs of Zion. And above that 2,500-foot step and 40 miles north, you get the 2,500-foot Pink Cliffs of Bryce. That's the end of the erosional event. From Bryce south, you got Bryce, Zion, Vermilion Cliffs. That mile and a half of strata is gone for tens of thousands of square miles. Now, there's different theories being developed today. Uh, 
but what seems to be the best theory is the floodwaters were flowing across what is now the North American continent in an easterly direction toward the latter parts of the flood. And this eroded that mile and a half of strata, leaving behind the grand staircase and dispersing the sediments so they're nowhere to be identified today. So again, 60 miles north of Grand Canyon, you have the Vermilion Cliffs. This is taken from Lee's Ferry. This is where we'll, we'll get off of our raft trip from. On top of those layers and 40 miles north, you have the 2,500-foot white and gray cliffs of the Zion area. That's us at the Patriarch of the Patriarchs, named after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then 40 miles north on top of those layers, you've got the 2,500-foot pink cliffs of Bryce. You see, Bryce, they call it Bryce Canyon. It's not a canyon at all. It's a sapping structure. It's actually at the edge of a huge plateau, and at the edge where it drops off, Bryce is there. Have you ever been walking along the edge of a river, and the water gets under the edge, and when it leaves, the sides go just clap straight down? They make those little, little, little like horseshoe-shaped, and it just drops straight down? Those are called sapping structures. Bryce is just a large sapping structure. It's not a canyon at all. When the water suddenly left the area, it left behind what they call these hoodoos. And it's an absolutely fantastic area to look at. And along the edge of the canyon of the rim, which you have on the right side, those are sapping structures where the water suddenly left the area. You know, if you go to Grand Canyon or Bryce, what one of the great things I'll point out, this is a picture of Bryce, is they say, the story, the old earth story, is that water gets into the cracks of the rocks and freezes and expands and cracks the rock. And this goes on and on for millions of years, and the rock slowly cracks away, okay? So you've got, let's say, a hoodoo standing here, and over time the rock falls off, okay? Where does the rock go when it falls? It goes to the ground, right? Where's the rock debris? You stand at the edge of Bryce or Grand Canyon and ask yourself, where's the rock debris? There is none. It's clean as a whistle. So, like Joanna always jokes with me, she says, well, maybe little elves come out at night with dustpans and, and clean up all the missing rock. Well, if you believe in millions of years, that's probably the best alternative that you have. <laughs> However, these happen very quickly. The water's rushed off and left behind the hoodoos we see today with the perfectly clean floors with no rock debris. The Grand Staircase, undeniable proof of the truth of God's word. So Grand Canyon and Grand Staircase are monuments to God's global flood judgment. And so some people will say, well, well Russ, how, can, can, we, can we believe in modern science and in the Word of God? Well, the only difference, realize this, the only difference between old earth interpretations of the world and a biblical, what they call young earth, I don't like the term young earth, by the way, um, but it's what we're stuck with, the only difference is, hey, how long did it take those, those layers to form and what event formed them? That's the only difference. How long did it take them to form? And the global flood explains it very well. So in our Grand Staircase tour, we will visit Grand Canyon for one day, and I'll take you on our three-mile hike. It's right along the rim. I'll show you the creation rock. I'll take you on the rim where you can put your hand right on the original creation rock, right on the first of the judgment layers, and I'll explain these things. I'll show you red and 
Cedar Butte and explain that in the Grand Staircase. I'll be able to see the Vermilion Cliffs in the distance. The second day, we're going to do a river raft trip. It's a very safe section of the river. If you're thinking it's rough, no, actually, it's, it's an extremely gentle section. But we're going to be floating along with 800-foot walls on both sides of us. And where we get out at Lee's Ferry, all of a sudden, those 800-foot layers above us are gone. We'll come out at the end of the first step at Lee's Ferry, and the Vermilion Cliffs all of a sudden just, boom, stop there. And, those, and I'll ask you, how do you remove those 800-foot layers of rock for tens of thousands of square miles? And then the next day, we'll go up to Zion, and we'll spend our day at Zion, and we'll spend a day at Bryce, and we'll do a lot of different talks and chats, and there's, there's optional hikes at each location that uh, we'll lead you guys on, and you know, some are very, very easy, but they're all optional, and, and there's a couple that are, that are uh, you know, challenging, but they're all very, very uh, safe, and they're all optional. So it's going to be a great day, and we'll divide up people in groups they feel comfortable with. But secular geology teaches Grand Canyon was dug out by the Colorado River over, well, of course, millions of years of time because that's their foundation is millions of years. Again, this is based on uniformitarianism. But let me ask you just a logical question. Think about this. If rivers carve out huge canyons over millions of years of time, and if, if the earth is billions of years old, well, why isn't every river, gully, stream, and creek in its own Grand Canyon by now? Well, because the earth isn't old, and rivers had not had time to carve out huge canyons, even if they were to carve out huge canyons. I mean, the Nile River is bigger than the Colorado. It's going through sand. It doesn't have a big canyon there, right? No, it took a very special set of circumstances to form Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon is a result of some very special circumstances. Now, this is a satellite photo of Grand Canyon. You notice the white? That snow that's on the Kaibab upwarp. You see the, the top layer, the, the, color, the uh, Kaibab limestone, it got uplifted. This limestone here is 4,500 feet above the surrounding plain. This whole layer, got that's the Kaibab upwarp that was uplifted, and snow is on the upwarp right there. Now, the ancient river theory holds that the upwarp formed at the exact same rate over you know, millions of years that the Colorado River was slowly carving out the river. Talk about a miracle. At the exact same rate, the river was cutting out through the upwarp. Because, you know, water doesn't flow uphill, right? So that's a problem for old earth beliefs. Well, this has actually been debunked. Many of you have been taught this, I'm sure, but this was debunked for the last 50 years scientifically. There are many flaws with it. Uh, for instance, uh, this, uh, this author writes from Grand Canyon Geology, no one has ever found the ancestral riverbed of the Colorado River. The ancient river has never been found, nor the bed from it. A symposium of geologists reviewed the ancient river theory and unanimously rejected it as scientifically impossible uh, back in 1964. It's been debunked for 50 years. And they finally, in the last 10 years, have stopped teaching it. So they try to come up with a theory to replace it, and that was the precocious gully theory, named by its own author, also known as the stream capture theory. Now this basically holds, well, maybe a gully eroded Grand Canyon over 5 million years. 
There's a lot of problems with this. This from Four Corners Geological Society guidebook. There's a notorious lack of Colorado River sediments in the west and a lack in the east. In other words, the missing 900 cubic miles of sediments from Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon's 277 miles long, up to 18 miles wide, and up to a mile deep. It's missing 900 cubic miles of sediments, but the missing sediments are not along the edge of the Colorado River. They're not down in the Gulf. <laughs> Where are they? They got dispersed quickly. They think there might be some outside of San Diego and in the greater Phoenix area. Huge problems for the stream capture theory is this. And I lead raft trips through here, and I've hiked this canyon, but they say that there's a, there's a canyon called Kanab Creek that comes in uh, from the north into Grand Canyon. And where it meets, they say this is where the erosional event met up with the Colorado River, forming, leaving behind Grand Canyon. Well, however, where they meet, the canyon walls are running in a straight up and down line, and the walls are 700 feet straight up and down on both sides. Yet where Kanab Creek dumps off, it immediately goes into these slow meandering turns of a slow-moving stream. So to think that a gully came in from south heading north and meeting up with the Colorado River coming in from the north heading south, and there's no, there's no point at where you can say there's where they met. There's just a perfectly straight wall, and the Colorado River supposedly turned off at Kanab Creek, leaving behind these slow meandering turns. It doesn't make any sense. As, of we, as I speak at this moment, think about what I'm about to say. Old Earth geologists have no viable way to explain how the canyon could have formed slowly. They can't even tell you how this could have happened. So even the secular geologists that stay the canyon are now admitting it formed in a matter of days. It's obvious, and it's been obvious for a long time. I mean, just common sense. A gully did this? <laughs> Come on. I have a gully in my front yard. Do any of you guys have gullies on your property? Well, you better get home and fill it up with cement fast before another Grand Canyon forms, right? I don't think you're too worried about that, are you? So let's go to Mount St. Helens, where God gave us the most observed cataclysmic geological event in the history of the world, he has left us with no excuse. Now, at the beginning of the eruption, the north slope of the mountain slid off into the Tudor Valley below. We're talking billions of tons of earth slid off into the Tudor Valley. Now, this dammed up the valley and the small Tudor River that ran through it. And over a two-year period of time, a huge lake formed behind that earthen dam. But in March 19, 1982, the waters finally breached that earthen dam. And when water breaches an earthen dam, it causes the dam to collapse catastrophically via massive water and mud flow. Five different canyon systems were eroded by this massive water and, and mud flow, debris flow, in a 24-hour period. Five different canyon systems, side canyons and all. Here's one of the canyons formed in a matter of hours there at Mount St. Helens. It's 1,000 feet across, 160 feet deep, and over two miles long. Now, after the canyon formed, a stream has entered and now run down, runs down the bottom of the canyon. Now, if you were trained in secular geology, that processes today have always been the same and you just came across here and nobody told you when it formed, you could look at the stream and you could measure the amount of sediment being taken out by that stream, and you could extrapolate backwards over the size of the canyon and say, it took this stream millions of years to dig out this canyon. 
and you would be absolutely clueless of the truth. That's exactly what secular geology has done to this world because they ignore, they are willingly ignorant that by the word of God, the world that was being overflowed with water perished. They assume present processes have always been the same, and they are so far off base, it's saddening that people have spent their whole lives trying to figure out how to, how to fit their old earth beliefs into God's word, putting death before Adam, when we can just read God's word and believe it. Here are two men standing at the side of one of those canyons formed in a matter of minutes at Mount St. Helens. Kind of looks like the edge of Grand Canyon, does it? In fact, they call this the Little Grand Canyon. Grand Coulee in Washington State and the scab lands of eastern Washington were formed in a matter of, of hours by a massive dam breach. Now, back in the 1920s, the first scientists, the brave, honest scientists, the ones that went by what the evidence showed, that started saying, hey, this area didn't form over hundreds of millions of years like secular geology was teaching. It formed in a massive dam breach. Well, they were being destroyed. Their careers were ended. But Grand Canyon formed due to a series of unique circumstances. Late in the flood, the erosion event left behind the Grand Staircase. So we had the easterly flowing water eroding that mile and a half of strata and leaving the grand staircase behind. The Bible says they go up by the mountains and down by the valleys. The mountains arose, the valleys sank down toward the end of the flood. During this tectonic event that was global in nature, the Rocky Mountains arose, the Wasatch Mountains of Utah arose, and the Sierra Madres of California arose. Notice they run parallel to the coast, like one car rear-ending another and the hood gets crumpled. Well, this diverted the easterly flowing water in a southerly direction where they eroded and left behind the scab lands of southern Utah and northern Arizona and channeled through and cut the Grand Canyon. You know, the, you can't bend rock, right? It would snap. Yet we find geologic compression vents around the globe where the rock has been crumpled like one car rear-ending another, but the rock's not broken. These are mud layers that were folded while they were still mud after the end of the flood, and they hardened into rock a few years following the global flood. So toward the end of the flood, the mountains arose, the valley sank down, the mile and a half of strata had been removed, the Kaibab upwarp formed, and this is the Kaibab upwarp, we'll see this on our trip, where the layers are lifted 4,500 feet above the plain. You find bent strata layers in Grand Canyon, bent in 90-degree folds, yet the rock's not broken. They were still mud at the end of the flood when this took place. There are two good theories on the formation of Grand Canyon. Uh, the Grand Canyon was carved late in the flood as the floodwaters dissipated in a southerly direction through that area, cutting through the upwarp and leaving behind Grand Canyon. Marble Canyon formed as... A channel event came in from the northeast. The Little Colorado River Canyon formed as it channeled in from the uh, north as well, leaving behind Grand Canyon where they cut through the upwork. It happened quickly, and the evidence is overwhelming. There's also the breach dam theory, and the difference with this is that the, the Kaibab upwork acted like an earthen dam and caught runoff from the flood and after the flood, the waters breached the dam and carved it out quickly. If, if there was a lake behind, and they're still developing theories on this, the water would have been 
that was held in those lakes would have been three times that held in Lake Michigan today. But either way, when water tunnels through an earthen dam, it causes it to collapse catastrophically by a massive water and mud flow. You know, cavitation bubbles implode at almost a half a million pounds per square inch. It's a big problem for engineers. Massive water flow leads to a lot of damage, cavitation being one of those things. Back in 1983, uh, they had so much snow in the wintertime and then rain in the spring that Lake Powell was about to go over Glen Canyon Dam. They were afraid the dam would collapse. They opened all the spillways to get as much water out as possible, and the whole dam started to shake. Luckily, it happened during the middle of the day. They ran out on the dam, and they looked down at the water coming out of the spillways, and one of the spillways, the water coming out was all red. So they immediately shut down that spillway, and they went inside to see what had taken place. Well, a cavitation event had taken place where these tiny bubbles had imploded. They ate through the three-foot steel-reinforced concrete and 30 feet into the bedrock below. If that had happened at night and they didn't know what, what to shut down, the whole dam would have collapsed. And Grand Canyon would be a bit bigger today than it is. Marble Canyon opens abruptly to form Grand Canyon, where the upwork was breached. The vertical walls of the canyon, straight up and down, testify of rapid formation. The lack of rock debris found in the bottom of Grand Canyon testify of rapid formation, not long gradual processes or an old Grand Canyon. So the results of dam failures, the steep canyon sides, the lack of time gaps, the lack of rock debris, and more all give us tr proof that the canyon formed quickly. In fact, the Havasu Indians who live in the bottom of the canyon have an ancient legend of how the Grand Canyon formed following a massive aqueous event. So challenge your thinking, this, this textbook asks kids. Grand Canyon shows wide meanders of an older river. However, it also has the walls of a steep, youthful river. How might this conundrum be explained? Well, very easily. The Colorado River did not dig out Grand Canyon. It formed quickly as a massive aqueous event related to the flood, whether right at the end of the flood or a delay doesn't change that. And then the Colorado River entered the already, forming canyon, already formed canyon, forming the slow meandering loops in the bottom. Grand Canyon formed to a unique set of circumstances. In fact, this from New Geology, uh, from National Geographic for Kids, I should say, geologists now think Grand Canyon grew in quick spurts from massive flooding over 750,000 years. They can't let go of the old earth beliefs because it's their whole foundation. But Grand Canyon and Grand Staircase are monuments to God's past and his coming judgments of sin, but more importantly, to God's grace and mercy. Pastor Dan said this earlier, but when I'm at the canyon and I have people there and everyone's, ooh, oh, wow, this is beautiful. And I say, how many of you th are sitting there thinking, right now, God's creation is awesome. Everyone raises their hand. And I point out, well, realize you're not looking at God's creation. You're looking at remnants of God's judgment. And it should remind us of God's grace and his mercy. Yet kids will be taught this week, over millions of years, Grand Canyon was dug out by the Colorado River. So why do they continue to promote billions of years when they know it's not true? Well, because millions of years' beliefs is the foundation for Darwinism, naturalism, and secular humanism. 
If they lose billions of years, they lose it all. And a global flood destroys their beliefs. And I cover this and the Darwinism both in It's About Time, my new book, and in our Grand Staircase tour, which we're, I, hope, I hope all of you will come out and go with us. It's going to be an awesome, it's going to be a life-changing event for many. I've had atheists go on our trips and come up to me and say, I have no interest in your biblical God, and by the end of the day, thank me for changing their lives. God will use us. It's not what I do or you do. It's what God will use us to do and allow us to do. So avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning their faith. These are monuments to the truth and the authority of God's word. So let's be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Let's put our trust, our faith, in the word of God. Let me end this part with a word of prayer and what, about a five-minute break? And then we're going to do some Q&A about the upcoming trip. If you're interested in the trip, you want to know more about it, Myself, Dan, and Pastor Dan are going to be here to answer questions. Uh, so uh, let's take a five-minute break, but let me end my part with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and every dear soul that's here this afternoon. And I just hope and I pray you'll bless the information we share and that you will bless this upcoming trip and let us use it to solidify our faith, but also just to, to, just to praise and glorify you and to see how we can just look at the world we live in and know that your word is true, word for word and cover to cover. Your word who became flesh and dwelt among us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his great name that I do pray. Amen.